don't know why you think that you could help me when you couldn't get by by yourself. And I don't know who would ever Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Gentleman Dojo. It's me, Gary Cannon. Hope everybody's having a great day. It's me coming in solo today. We are missing Steve Byrne and Patrick Keene, but that doesn't mean we can't have a great show without the two fellas. They're both on the road doing their own thing, and we've been getting blown up on our Twitter page saying, when is the next new episode coming out? Well, it's here, guys. The next new episode is right now. So we're excited. Let me explain what is going on here right now, guys, because we have an author coming on our show who we are very, very excited about. Uh, So let me just tell you kind of what's going on. We, let me kill this music, Aaron. Aaron, how are you? You doing good? Uh, Yeah, I'm great. Well, we are excited because obviously the other boys are not here with us, but uh, we are back. We are going strong. It is my commitment to you guys to make sure that uh, we are consistently, consistently, consistently posting up new episodes week after week after week. And beginning today, Aaron, I'm not lying, as of today, all new episodes every week. Are you excited about that? Yes, and our author, <laughs> sorry, my mic is down half the time. Uh, our author is on the line. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm very excited because uh, this gentleman's book is coming out tomorrow, and I looked at the jacket of this book, and holy crap, some great, great quotes from comics, including uh, Bobcat Goldsworth, uh, Kumal Nanjani, uh, Tig Nataro, so many great people. Uh, the book is called Tragedy plus time, a tragic comic memoir. And uh, I think this gentleman and I crossed paths a couple of years ago because he was on Conan doing stand-up. I was doing the warm-up for Conan. And for some reason, I don't know if we did cross paths or not, but we're here to talk about it, here to talk about his brand new book, which is coming out tomorrow on the 21st. Please help me welcome to the Gentleman's Dojo, Aaron, I want you to be applauding loudly too because we're very uh, low on staff today. Uh, please make it loud for Adam Caton Holland. Adam, how are you? I'm great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me in the dojo. Damn right, it's the dojo, my friend. Is this the biggest thing that you've ever done in your comedy career? Well, I should probably stand up. I was seated, but now I'm going to stand <laughs> up. Because it's so big. Adam, we need a little more energy from you. Is what we're going to need. Um, so first of all, yeah, no, I'm going to get hyped. <laughs> you're calling us in from Denver, correct? You're on the book tour, correct? Uh, not on the tour yet, but I live in Denver, so I'm, I'm home at Denver. So we launch it tomorrow at my favorite bookstore where I grew up going to, so it's pretty cool. So that you, you guys are doing that tomorrow for the premiere of the book, right? Which is the bookstore yeah, that's, that's totally. the tattered cover on Colfax in Denver. Cover. Right. So here's what's yep, crazy. Exactly. You did, you're a stand-up comic. You did Conan in 2016. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And also in 2013, I've done it twice. Okay, so I became the audience warm-up of the Conan show back in 2015, so I am certain that our paths crossed when you did the show, because I was just looking back on your set, and you were talking about how your family wants to take all the credit for your career once you start making it big, and I was like, oh my gosh, I definitely (laughs) I definitely remember him, but usually I won't go into the green room and say hello to somebody unless I know them, and obviously we didn't have a relationship, so... 
didn't know you, but when I saw your setback and I was watching it, I was like, oh, of course, I remember mentioning your name during the warm-up credit before the show started. So. Oh, yeah. Well, no, no worries at all. I remember watching you because I'm fascinated by warm-ups, so I came out and watched you do it. And I just I, I I liked I liked how you did it, man. And, and the it, first time it was Jimmy Pardo. Jimmy Pardo. And, so, and yep. then I watched and then I watched you do it and it's just it's an art unto itself. It's a great gig. I absolutely love doing it. It's it's funny because I've been there for three years. It's an amazing, amazing gig. Uh, but you certainly have one up on me because <laughs> I've worked on the show for three years and have still never done it, and you've done it twice already. <laughs> so yeah. I got I gotta get moving. I gotta get moving. Uh, yeah, right. I don't know. I'll I'll tweet at Conan. I'm sure he'll tweet. get right. <laughs> I could talk to Conan, and he would still uh, not know who I was. Um, so you know, it's crazy. <laughs> I I I I read your book. I was really excited to read your book. First of all, this book is 230 pages, but moves so quickly. Talking about your life, I, I got to tell you, Adam. I think I read the book in two three hours. And whenever we get a book that's sent to us to our podcast uh, for us to take a read before the show and before we interview the author. it's a very kind of quick skim or just a very fast overlook. And my wife always laughs because she doesn't view me as somebody that sits down and reads a book. And I got to tell you, I just, (laughs) I literally just got hooked into your book very, very quickly from the story that you tell immediately in the first couple pages about you going to uh, Amazon trying to sell the TV show moving forward from there. So just kind of give our listeners a little preview of, of just how the book starts with you going in and having this great meeting here in LA and how just the book moves from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I kind of start, I didn't want to like, uh, really draw out what the story is. I want people to know going into the book. So like, basically it's this, you know, meeting with me at Amazon. I've got a script. My friends and I have written it. We're these Denver comics on the rise. There's a lot of heat around us, blah, blah, blah. And I sell the script and it's like, hallelujah, this is what every comic wants. We're going to go make a pilot. And then I kind of reveal that it's, you know, I could give, I could care less because I'm devastated because my little sister killed herself. I mean, like two weeks before that. So it's this very right away. It's like, wow, this is this cool high. And then like, oh my God, this doesn't matter at all. And that's how my life has been for uh, six years. So yeah, I just kind of, I wanted to sort of suck the reader in with that and be like, here it is. And then obviously I go back and you meet my family and meet my sister and, and I tell the whole story. Well, it, it's a great story in a sense that your attitude at the meeting with Amazon was like, hey, listen, because you know this, it's it, there's every situation in the book that we deal with as comics. We absolutely love this script. We love it. We love it. We love it. But for some reason, they're not going to go right. forward with it. But your attitude was like, hey, listen, this other script's not even written. Who gives a shit? I mean, that was the great right. attitude to have. And all of a sudden, they walked away saying, yeah, we need this script. And, you know, the the visual of you, you know, driving back to the Ramada in your car and going back to this hotel before you flew home and just crying because you knew all this other stuff was going on. It's almost like, you know this as a comic, Adam. I, I, I remember having to get a call from my mom saying that my dad was about to pass away and having to go out and do warm-up for the Carson Daly show and make it look like everything was great. And you know that you're putting on this facade because you know what happened you know, with your sister and you know the guilt that you felt and all the remorse that was going through your head. And, and you're not letting any of this on to the people that you're meeting in such an important 
event like this. Right, right. I mean, I remember I wrote about it in the book, but the first time I did Conan, you try, I try not to put too much pressure on my dead sister. I try not to ask her for too many things. But I remember the first time I did Conan, I was so nervous. And it was maybe seven months after she passed away. And I'm like standing behind that curtain to come out. And I just started talking to her. I was like, I need you right now. Like, you need to help me crush this set. Like, I need you. Like, it was weird. So it is kind of odd that I was about to go on TV and be like, hey, everybody, it's me. But in the back on that curtain, I'm like praying to my dead sister. It's strange, man. It's the yin and the yang of life. And it's odd how you have to kind of keep that down a lot of the time. Because, Adam, you had a relatively normal for a comic, a relatively normal childhood, a normal life. I mean, obviously, you know, you were the middle child. You had an older sister, younger sister, and and you. It, it seemed like you had a pretty normal life. I mean, other than you know, you get into trouble when you were in college, you know, that kind of stuff. But I mean, for the most part, you had a relatively kind of peaceful life. Oh yeah, I think I had a really ideal life. I think it's that's kind of what I think why this book might resonate. And then just the truth about mental illness and how it could come anywhere. It's like everyone would kill for a family like I had like really nice liberal parents, interesting intellectuals, funny took us traveling all over the world. It's like an ideal family, man, really whip smart sisters. And even out of that beautiful, supportive, caring environment, mental illness can just rear its horribly ugly head. And that's, that's a testament to the, it being a real disease. You know, it's not like, oh, well, what happened? Was she damaged? Did, some, did something make her that way? It's like, yeah, her DNA. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, well, what's interesting about, about the, the, the book, too, and, and, and about just being a comic in general, you know this, Adam, because people will tell you all the time, well, what's going on? You have to be fucked up as a comic in order to be funny, or you have to have shitty parents to be oh, a yeah. comic. And The trope of the tortured comic, like... I remember some interviewer before Lydia died asked me straight up. They're like, you, you're normal. Like you got a good family. Like, how could you be funny? How are you funny? And I was like, well, I'm funny. I don't know how to tell you that. Like, I feel like humor comes from being sensitive and being observant. So whether you achieve that level because your dad beat the shit out of you growing up or because you were just a wallflower in middle school that paid attention doesn't mean that your jokes are worth more than the other guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it's just this interesting concept that everybody else thinks that you have to be messed up to deliver on stage or you have to go up on stage high or drunk. Like I, 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 I felt that reading the totally. book because I felt like I had a pretty mild-mannered middle-class family, nothing crazy. Both my parents worked. We had dinner together. And as I'm reading the book, I'm like, oh, wow, this is very similar to you. And, and we, we both kind of went through the same dynamic growing up. It was very similar to that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I just, I've always kind of rejected that trope. I mean, now obviously I've got this dark cloud of, of what happened to me hanging over me. So people are probably like, there he goes fitting nicely into the trope, but I never really gave that much credence. I think like, you know, Richard Pryor growing up in a whorehouse sort of set the precedent. <laughs> so everybody kind of wants of course. to be like, well, it's gotta be like that for all of you. Right. And it's like, not really. It can come from anywhere. So what made you, because one of my favorite stories in the book, and we're talking to Adam Caton Holland, who wrote, wrote the new book, Tragedy Plus Time, coming out on Tuesday, the 21st of August. Uh, I love the story that you told in the book that you went up, you were a big fan of David Letterman, you went up at your your high school 
kind of like uh, you, you guys had to everybody had to go up and, and, and do two minutes of, of something. You could talk about anything you wanted. Yeah, you had to speak at an assembly, basically. At an assembly. You went up there and did this top ten list and it virtually destroyed. I mean, it just like like <laughs> you were just the talk of the town, just the shit of the high school for a couple of weeks, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I was at this I went to this weird middle school that went through ninth grade. So it was it was at this middle school that that was the final year of the school before I went to a public high school and I hated this school. It was like rich asshole lacrosse players. And uh and I so never I was completely ignored. Nobody really liked me. I was just a weirdo wallflower. And then I but and everybody feared those speeches because it's like you're in ninth grade, public speaking, it's a nightmare. And I was so excited because I was like, this is my chance. And I wrote this top 10 list and it was like, yeah, it was bananas. The reaction was just like people were in my memory, just falling over laughing. And, uh, for that day I was King shit. And then like the next day, right back to normal no, not the cool table anymore. But I filed that away somewhere deep. I was like, okay, this comedy thing, that's a way to make people pay attention to this guy. What was that the first time you felt like, oh, wow, I, I really enjoy that immediate feedback from other people. Yeah, and it was the first performer's high I ever had. But it's funny because I never even got back up on stage until I started doing stand-up. I kept writing. I went more the path of writing the top ten list than performing it, you know. Um, but I definitely felt that high for sure. And, and it's funny because you then transition. You go to college, uh, not doing a, a whole lot in, in the stand-up world at all, really. I mean, just kind of more of getting into no, trouble. No. And then you come out, and then you start doing more comedy but with a group. Well, you know, at first I started doing stand-up alone, um, and I still do it alone. And all the three members of the Grolix, is the name of our group, are all individual comics. But, you know, when you start stand-up, you find the people that you're yes. buddies with, that you get along with, that have the same sense of humor, and you sort of write with them and hang out with them. And so we started doing a show together, and it kind of caught fire. It was In Denver, it was the first, like, alt comedy, you know? And it wasn't as pervasive as it is now. And so we were doing shows in dive bars and art galleries and warehouse spaces and like got this real big following. And we found the dynamic of the three of us worked really well. So then we just started making videos and those just kind of took off. And that, and that and it was so funny too for me, Adam, because I love reading comedian books where you're like, oh, I wonder if I will recognize any of the names in the book uh-huh. About other comics. Did you and recognize any of them? Troy Baxley immediately. Yes. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, well, that's so. I, I, you got. I don't question your comedy credibility anymore. When people I like, when people tell me Troy Baxley from Denver, I'm like, okay, you know your shit. Troy he's a deep cut, and he was so funny. So funny. I, I remember. I, I only worked with him once, and it was at a club in Sunnyvale, California, called Rooster Tea Feathers. And oh, I, sure. He. Do, do you remember that club? Yeah. No, I know that club. Okay. Yeah. And basically, I will never forget when people in the audience were fucking around and, you know, not paying attention, he would say, oh, he would look up at the speaker and like that was hanging from the ceiling. He's like, oh, that thing fell during the first show. And and, you're, and then the people who were talking are like, what the hell's going on? Like, he was so great at improvising and just crowd work. And it was just masterful the way it was done. And the minute I saw his name, I was like, oh, my God, Troy, of course, of course. I feel so blessed that we started at the mic that Troy ran because he was like so individual, so weird and so completely dark and free with his humor that for that, that was the first guy we're like, man, I just want to make Troy laugh. 100%. You make Troy laugh. You were, 
on the moon. I remember <laughs> he still does it in his sets. If he's drinking a beer or whatever, he'll just go, Flavor hole open, and then he'll take a swig <laughs> of his beer. It's it's very so, uh, very Todd Glass kind of like off the wall. Yeah, you know, just totally, the, totally. Those are the I guys that I love too. Um, so reading that, I'm just, so because I remember Troy put you up. That was the first time you did stand up. Was one of his rooms, and then you yep. and then basically you got asked by Tig Notaro to do uh, a festival that she was doing. Yeah, I did. I got open for Tig, and she was really cool. And she did this festival in D.C., and it was the first year of it, and she just invited me to do it, which was just, I mean, she's such a lovely person. And then that, I did well at that festival, and that kind of led to me getting asked to do the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, which was in Portland, and that led to some L.A. people seeing me and getting a little heat, as they say. So it's all born of, like, I still, I really believe it's all born of comedians. If you treat other comics well and impress them and be cool, they, it's a reciprocal relationship and like everything I've gotten in comedies come from comics. Like you can go to those rooms and try to sell the Amazons of the world and you need that. But truly, if you can just kind of like scratch people's backs and they scratch yours, the much healthier way to climb in this business. Well, and, and you know this too, Adam, because you, you go out on the road and, you know, the, the road can be a lonely place and, you know, you're out on the road for four or five days and you have these times where you meet the other comics for the week and the, the conversation will be like, hey, we need to hang out this week. We need to go grab lunch. We need to go grab drinks, whatever. And then Sunday night comes rolling yeah. around and you haven't seen any of them. And oh, hey, next time. But then, <laughs> but, then, but then you meet people that you really enjoy hanging with and that you connect with very quickly and you know that you're going to be seeing them not only that week, but you know after the weekends. And you know you'll come visit them, or they'll visit you. But you know there there is that camaraderie of people that you meet in stand up that you click with right away. A hundred percent. I mean, some of my best friends are from this world, and it's so diverse. Like it's people I would never ever meet in any other realm. But you just kind of both do this weird stand-up comedy thing and you get and you get along that way i love that about stand-up especially when you go to a different city and you're hanging out with comics that you do get along with and they're taking you to their favorite restaurants and their favorite bars and this museum and it's just like what a great way to tour the world through the eyes of a fellow comic you know and i try to do that in denver when people come here for years you know with the grolics our live show we were bringing guests in and we like to show off our city and to make sure they have a good time well well and i've said this uh many times that Stand-up is a very, very competitive world, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you see how people care for one another when you go hang out at a club and it's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like stand-ups against everybody else. It's like us against them and you're, you're having a beer with people and you're just enjoying life and you're commiserating about the highs and lows of this business. So that's what I love about it, just walking into a club and feeling, oh my gosh, I'm part of the family. That's what feels so great about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even live in L.A., and I'll, every time I go to the Hollywood Improv, I'll know 15 people at the bar. It's like, oh, this is great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So so here's what's – so so you're, you're out there. You're doing stand-up. Things are going great. Tell our listeners about the relationship between your two sisters. You had a younger sister, Lydia, older sister, Anna. Tell us about the relationship with them. Well, Anna and I are now way, way closer than we were as children. I think Anna and I were pretty competitive growing up. Because Anna was Anna older. Anna was a badass. Uh, she's, the, she's the older sister, and she's, like, so smart. And she was an Olympic track figure skater and, like, just kicking ass. And I was just trying to compete and hang. Um, years older than me. And then Lydia is four years younger than me. 
So there was no real competition between me and Lydia. Um, and, you know, while Anna was up figure skating all the time, Lydia and I were watching television <laughs> and, uh, and just kind of forming our senses of humor together. So a lot of my sense of humor was Lydia's sense of humor and, and like vice versa. So from a very early age, we were kind of running bits and just doing weird characters. And like, I don't know, it was, I've developed that sense of humor with Lydia right there. So as I got into comedy, which I did individually, she would come around and she started being like, wow, this is really cool. And she wanted to be involved. So she started helping us run the shows, you know, run tech, set up the chairs, just all the stuff that's necessary for a show she would kind of do. And it got really intimate. Like I would hang out with her after the show and she'd be like, I think you should tweak this joke this way. The type of conversations you only have with comics. Right. I was having with my sister. And because I had formed my sense of humor with her, I was like, yeah, I'll take your advice. And her advice was always really good. She was a very stern editor. So she's like, that stuff's bullshit. You don't need that. That's fluff. And I was just like, yeah, you're totally right. Um, so she was there for a lot of it, you know? And and so and the thing that you mentioned in the book is that she – there was a point where she was going through everything that she was going through, and she stopped coming to your events to help out, which you felt really – to, to say your words fucked over by. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I try to talk about that because people give such two dimensional portraits of mental illness and suicide. And it's like, Oh, this poor tortured person. And I tried to help. And that was the story. And that is the story, but you know, it's also exasperating. And I think it's okay to admit that you were frustrated by your little sister's depression and I didn't know how severe it was until she's gone. I mean, looking back, it's very easy to see. But in real time, it was shocking. And I didn't know she would do this. And she, in fact, looked at me right in the face and said she wouldn't do this. So when she's just spinning out and three days in a row, everything's great and groovy and she's normal. And then suddenly it's show night and she's like, I can't make it. Sorry, I'm not feeling well. And you're like, what the fuck? Because, you know, I had had Lydia died when she was 28. And the last two years of her life are really when the mental illness kind of took over. So from zero to 26, I just had this normal, reliable, funny, smart person in my life. And then the last two years, it all changed. But it's only a couple of years out that I'm able to see it that clearly. At the time, you're just like, well, why is this changing? Why are you being different? You know? And 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 after it happens, after because basically it's it's in the in the book it's revealed that your younger sister commits suicide. Uh, how did other family members react? Did did, did people? Uh, it's easy to look back on it and and miss some of the signs, but like, how did other family members react to it? Oh man, the same, just wholesale shock and utter devastation. I mean. My family's very close and we, you know, we, there's five of us and now there was four. And that's just, it's like, I don't know. I can't, it's like looking at a house that you grew up in and the house is gone all of a sudden. It's just everything you knew and everything that was has changed. And it's really, really hard to figure out how to proceed. I mean, it was hard for us to get out of bed. It was hard. I remember those first couple of weeks afterwards, I had bruises all over my legs and arms because I literally kept bumping into shit. Like that's how oblivious I was. I couldn't even, I couldn't even walk. 
it's awful. It, and it and is, my family was the exact same way. It is interesting, Adam, too, because you, throughout the book, it, it's very obvious that you guys are such a close-knit family. It's not like, you know, your younger sister who passed was living somewhere else in a foreign land that nobody – like, it, it's it's very – you guys were very centered and very close. So when that happens, you, you're just completely thrown off by it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, like, in writing this book and just in mourning, I've, like – I've, I've, you know, searched my emails for every email Lydia sent me. I've read every single email. And like, what's really funny is just how close we all were. It's like the emails are like, okay, I let your dog out. She's doing good. You know what I mean? Or it's me being like, Hey, I dropped that thing off at your house. It's just like, really, we all had keys to each other's houses. We all helped each other out. If I was out of town, Lydia's taking care of my dog. You know, it's just like, it's that close. The one thing of many things that I loved about the book is that you really emphasize how serious mental illness is because the truth is I remember years and years ago I dated a girl and she was depressed a lot and I remember not knowing anything about depression, not knowing one thing. I remember just getting frustrated with her and saying something to the effect of, well, can't you just stop being depressed like a moron? Like I like it just showing my <laughs> right. my very little information that I had about this. Like, can't you just turn it off? And I remember her looking at me saying, do you not realize that this is a disease? And I guess I at the time I didn't know. And then from that point forward, I definitely started to realize that it was a disease. Yeah, you know, and I only have done that in hindsight. I mean, I'm, we're all academically smart enough to know that's the case, but to put that into practice is a different thing because it is very frustrating. You know, it's like with, with Anthony Bourdain when he died, everyone's like, you kidding me? He's got the best life. Like, why would he kill himself? Right. You would never be like, are you kidding me? He's got the best life. Why would he get cancer? And you got to think of it that way. You really do. It's hard because it isn't as visible and it's, you know, in that person's head. But we really do have to strive to treat it as like, okay, this is a disease. Let's, how do we treat this disease? Well, you know, the other thing is too, Adam, and we're talking to Adam Caton Holland, who has a brand new book out this Tuesday called Tragedy Plus Time. It's amazing. Um, we always see this. I'm sure you know people that are like this. There are so many comics that I know that are certainly better off financially than I am. They're more successful than I am. But I do know that these comics go home at night to a quiet house. They're not in a relationship. They have no family. And and they're just unhappy people. And I would take yeah. I, I, I would trade that for going home, being happy, going home to my family. Uh you know, it's not about what's in my bank account. I don't need that in order to be happy. But I, I see it all the time, guys, that I took a private jet here, I, blah, 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 I did a corporate game. It's like, but at the end of the day, if you're not happy, all of that's irrelevant. A hundred percent. And like, I, you know, that's why I live in Denver. <laughs> I, uh, maybe to the detriment of my career, but I don't care because it's a happiness first type of thing. And, you know, Lydia, when she died, I was about to move to LA. I was like packing it up and I was like, now's the time I'm doing well. I'm jumping ship got a pilot. It was just a new face in Montreal. Time to go to LA and really crush it. And Lydia dying just crystallized everything for me. I was like, I want to leave. A, I can't leave my family right now. I just can't. Um, but B, I don't want to. And every time I go to LA, you know, the last three years I've spent half a year in LA working on a TV show. And it's great. If you can't have fun in LA, you're not fun. But <laughs> I personally am happier in a smaller size city. And I love Denver and I love my family. 
So my mental health is just better here, and I got to focus on that. And that's I, that's what I love. There was there was a point. I think it was I don't know halfway through the book where you had just gotten the news that you were doing the New Faces Festival at the Montreal Just for Laughs uh, uh, festival, and for yeah. you things were going great. Like I mean, for any new comic, that festival is the world. So here you get this festival, and you're hoping that your younger sister Lydia can enjoy and embrace this with you, but she's going through you know, her own demon. So like, like there were, and what's were... crazy is like how hand, how like while she was going through her own demons, it was like normal, not normal, normal, not normal. So even at the Montreal just for last festival, I'm doing well, getting good press shows are going good. Agents are interested in me. I'm texting with Lydia the whole time because she was my biggest fan and she was kind of geeking out as hard as I was. And she was the only person that I could like, be like, Oh my God, this just happened without seeming gauche or like really just full of myself i could like geek out about it with lydia and you know two days after i get back from montreal she killed herself so even in this period of like her absolute final downfall she's still normal she's still texting me she's still like so proud of me so it's so bizarre how how intertwined the normalcy and the the darkness is yeah it really is like you're having this great run of just things. I mean, just to get that anointment of just, Hey, we want you out at the just for laughs festival. And then two days later that happens. It's very crazy to just see like, because you want everybody to be excited for you. And then all of a sudden you can't enjoy it anymore. Right. And it it took me a long time to learn to enjoy it again, to tell you the truth. I, I didn't, you know, after she died, I, there was maybe a month of, like I said, and unable to get out of the bed and then once I started putting one foot in front of the other, you kind of start to be like, well, what's the rest of my life look like here? And it's like, well, shit, I don't feel funny. I don't want to get on stage. Right. And if I do, I certainly don't want to talk about this. So it's been a battle. Um, I'm really glad that I've gotten over it. And I, part of it was remembering what a sacred space comedy was for myself and Lydia. It was a happy place for both of us. So now when I get on stage and I'm at a comedy place, especially like at the venues where we used to, two shows and stuff I feel her you know and it's not like a cheesy like I got you on my shoulder but it's more just like this is she liked this space I like this space this is a fine place for me to be and and what was the idea for the book how did that come together well like I was saying I couldn't really joke about this and I didn't want to but you know I'm an insufferable artist I had to say something and so I uh I just wrote about it because I was like I needed to, honestly, I needed to get it out of my head as literal as that sounds. I needed to just get it out. And so I wrote this screed about everything I'd been through because I felt a internal pressure to discuss it, to put something out there. I felt like people were like, when's he going to talk about it? And no one was saying that. I put that on myself, but I felt that. Um, and so I published this thing on my website and like it blew up. And everybody shared it, all my comic friends. And it was like insane. And people started reaching out to me like crazy, which is a slippery slope because it's triggering stuff. But I, uh, I just couldn't believe the response and it felt good to me to write it. So then I started to write, I wrote another article and that got published in a magazine and that felt good. And, um, it just kind of felt like how I processed it. I'd been through a lot of therapy and that helped, but truly writing about it helps me therapeutically more than anything. So it's selfish. I just needed to heal through it and it felt good. And so I just kept doing it. 
And then this book opportunity came along and I really, I mean, no joke. I did some real deal mourning in writing this book. How long did it take you to write the book? Oh, I don't know, four months, five months. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, it, it, came, it came out pretty quick. It was, and I wrote, I turned in 200 more pages than are in that book. <laughs> oh, wow. I just, I just went for it. I really, you know, I just, like I said, I needed to get it out and it felt so good that it was like, it was like therapy. It was like, so I was pumped to write this book. It felt really um, cleansing. And I, I have to tell you, Adam, it was such a quick, easy read. Uh, it, it doesn't take, it, it, it's 230 something pages and it just, the book moves so quickly. I, it, it's so funny. I, w- when I was reading your little blurb about how you felt when you were a little kid watching the Sally Struthers, uh, the help, yeah, yeah. the, the, uh, the, 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 the African uh, hunger Harvey population in Africa. Yeah. yeah. I, I, to me, it's like, there's times where I wake up and I see like all of these dogs that need, you know, rescuing. And you're like, you just feel defeated. Oh God, that's Sarah McLaughlin. Yes. I can't even watch it. It's yes. You just feel defeated. And I, you're, you're just like, what can I do? What can I do? And it's like, when I was reading that part of your book about the Sally Struthers thing, I was like, you, you, you want to just start going out into the world and just start tackling everything. And you're just like, where do I start? And then, <laughs> then you go back to watching TV. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, my dad's a civil rights lawyer and my mom was a journalist. So there's definitely in my family uh, a mantra of like, the world is fucked, but you're a good person and you're going to help unfuck it. Right. <laughs> like, as, as best you so can. That, that's what th- those were our marching orders as children. And and now what's happening? Uh, you have the book tour coming up and, and obviously the first uh big night is tomorrow the 21st and you're going to be at tattered cover on colfax in denver and then you have a bunch of dates coming up uh, you're going to be in la which i would love to meet you you're going to be here on uh, thursday august the 30th at skylight books that's on vermont and then you're doing a little comedy tour parlor live one of my favorite clubs in the country yep. the san francisco punchline in october uh yeah and your home club is the comedy works correct yes exactly that's my i love the comedy works that's my home and i'm lucky to have but yeah man i'm just i mean honestly my wife's pregnant that's the dominant narrative for me um we're gonna have maybe in november she's like six months along and i'm just living life you know i'm I'm gonna working on a few other projects uh season three of my show comes out later this year i'm just uh i'm just happy i'm just taking it as it comes (laughs) trying to trying to be mentally healthy And, and, and how are things with the family everybody close everybody's good yeah, everybody's good. My sister's got three kids. My mom and my dad are doing better. You know, it's always hard. Like, I tried to say that in this book. This is not a clean book. Or like, and now I'm healed. And that's right. how I did it. I tried to sort of say, this never heals. Uh, this doesn't just, it gets a little easier. It's a little easier, it right. changes, but this never goes away. Um, so we're good. We're still broken. We're a five-man right. band, and we're missing our, our, our member. We're missing the drummer. Um, and that's always how it's going to be. So that's sad, but we're doing better. We're doing as good as we can do. And, and I assume that, uh, your folks and your sister, they've all read the book. Yeah. I gave it to them before my publisher. Oh, wow. Um, I was like, anything you want changed, take, tell me right now it's gone. Cause the last thing I want to do is make more hurt for my family. Correct. And I get that I, I'm doing this and I'm putting our very private grief out there for public consumption, which is, I don't do very lightly. Um, 
but they respect it. The one thing we've all tried to do is allow each member to mourn how they need to mourn. And, you know, I, my sister needs to do that. We respect it. My mom needs to do this. I respect it. They understand this is part of my mourning process. It kills me that someone's going to come up to my mom in the supermarket and be like, I read Adam's book. Oh, my God. Right. And she's like, you know, I don't feel like talking about my dead kid today. Right. I hate that that's going to happen. Right. But there's not a lot that I can do about that. And, and, and honestly, Adam, it got some amazing, amazing quotes on the cover jacket. I mean, from, from Pat Oswalt to Tig and Bobcat. I mean, absolutely amazing. I mean, it's, it's you know, for those people to, you know, give up a quote in their time, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And it says a lot about you. Oh, uh, well, thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, Kumail, all, they're all buds of mine that I've met over the years. Or, you know, Patton is one I kind of know. But, God, I love Patton Oswalt. Of course. He's such a gracious, good dude. He's on, he did a couple episodes of our TV show and, and he agreed to do it for me. So yeah, I, you know, the, the fact that these comics that I put on the Mount Rushmore of comic, my personal comedy, uh, took, liked the book and, and said a few kind words about it is, is so cool of them. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. I absolutely love the book. I truly, truly plan to come with you and be with you on that 30th date. Uh, that's of August. Yeah, yeah, I would love that. It'd be fun to like, uh, to meet in person. Skylight your books. work from the side of the Conan stage. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to address you directly. And, and by the way, I, I was mentioning to you uh, through texting that I'm going to be in your neck of the woods in a couple of weeks working with a buddy of mine. He's doing the comedy works, uh, I think, like the weekend of September 7th or 8th. And just according to your website and your schedule, it looked like you were in town, but I didn't know uh, if you were. If, if you Yeah, were I think I am. I'll, um, I'll pop on down, man. I'd love to, love to hang out at the club. And, and the website is just Adam Caton Holland, C-A-Y-T-O-N Holland. They can go there. Can they order the book from that website as well? They can. There's also a book website. It's called tragedyplustimebook.com. That's got all the info about the, the book. Awesome. Well, listen, I wish you the best of success with this book, Adam. It was an amazing read. Uh, my thoughts are with you and your family. I, I truly enjoyed it. And and I got to tell you, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that I took from this book is really about the mental illness of the situation with your sister is that, you know, it really is. I mean, people say it over and over again, but it really is just a real thing. And, you know, if, if people take that from the book, that's the most important thing. Well, I'm really glad you got that because I totally agree. You know, I've been working with some mental health um, groups and one guy told me it's really, it's really important to think about mental health like a spectrum. Nobody's sane. Nobody's insane. We're all somewhere in between. And some people are just struggling, but it's never really permanent. If you're like low down on that spectrum, you can get to a different place on that spectrum. If you work on it, nobody ever gives you crap for working on your physical health. They're like, hey, good for you. Go to the gym. Eat better. Uh, ditto with mental health. If you're working on your mental health, that's great. Good on you. Well, and, and you know the saying too, Adam, if, if you see somebody that's always in a good mood, they're lying. They're lying to you and their self. Oh, they're the, they're mean, the most insane person in the room. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> because they're completely bullshitting everybody deep down. You know, they're back home just going through their own demons. So that's exactly. de definitely something I took from it. And uh, all the best to you, Adam. And I definitely hope that uh, not only do I get a chance to meet you in LA when you're here for the book signing, but also in Denver when I'm there working, that would be fantastic. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Adam. Adam Caton Holland, everybody, from the brand new book, Tragedy Plus Time. Uh, check out his book. Go to his website, adamcatonholland.com, and you can also grab the book. Uh, we'll have a link on our website as well to grab the book, and uh, we're going to give a couple away to some of our listeners uh, when that uh, book comes out tomorrow. So thank you, Adam, for calling in. Awesome. Yeah, thanks again. I appreciate it. And we'll meet up soon. I appreciate it. Totally. That is another edition, you guys, of the Gentleman's Dojo coming back. Uh, we're back. We're back live uh, very soon. We're excited. Everything is good. And uh, Steve will be back with me very, very soon. Let's get this kicking in. We are back. The Gentleman's Dojo, all things comedy. I'm your host, Gary Cannon. Joining us again very, very soon will be Steve Bernie's working on his movie, The Opening Act, Patrick Keene. Once again... Thanks to our guest, Adam Caton Holland. His brand new book, Tragedy Plus Time, available on Tuesday the 21st. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. I think I...